Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by CaliberMind, your number one podcast for B2B marketers looking to level up their leadership skills. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I'm joined by Rand Fishkin. Rand, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kamala. I have been in the digital marketing universe for a long time. Started a company called Moz in the SEO space uh, very early in that field's journey uh, back in 2003 and was there for a good long while, left in 2018 uh, and started a new company, SparkToro, which is in the audience research space, um, helping marketers understand their audience's demographics and behaviors. Um, and that business has been uh, alive as a product now for, I think, three years, which is pretty exciting and going quite well. Uh, I'm also the co-founder and uh, creative director of a video game studio working on its first game. We're actually in the process of hiring artists right now. So been doing lots of lots of interviews, which is fun. Um, and the author of a book called Lost and Founder, which is a field guide to the startup world. That's amazing. Um, I mean, I've been following you for a while. So I but the video game thing that, that jumped out at me. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been really fun to sort of transfer um, knowledge of software development to a consumer field. You know, historically, all of the software um, that the companies I've, I've founded have built have been in B2B. And yeah, it's fun to do something B2C. Well, we'll have to talk. I, I have so many questions about like project structure and all that good stuff, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here <laughs> to talk about the cookie apocalypse, which is upon us. Now what? Your thoughts. Yeah. Uh, so I generally believe most of the analysts and prognosticators who say that Google is really finally going to drop third-party cookies from Chrome. Um, th there are people who mistakenly think this means all cookies of all kinds. That's not true. First-party cookies. So for example, if you, know, you go to your bank's website and you log in and um, your bank saves that machine's sort of details that it, you've been there before and you've authenticated and whatever the cookie that the bank drops on your machine in your browser, those continue to exist. Third-party cookies, which are essentially cookies that uh, primarily ad networks serve you through, right? They, they're used to track your behavior uh, across the internet on multiple different websites and sort of build a profile of you based on what you visited and then send that data back to ad servers so that advertisers can buy, you know, targeted advertising toward people who visited these three different websites in the automobiles field or whatever it is. Um, those, those are the problem, right? Those are the ones that are going away. And this, uh, is probably going to re be replaced by um, a, an inferred machine learning based system that aggregates behavior that Google or Facebook or Apple um, or you know, third-party ad network of your choice, Taboola or um, those kinds of people know about you. And <laughs> those cohorts, what, what are sort of called cohorts of behavior. So if you and I, Kamala, if we visit a lot of different websites and they're the same ones, we and the hundred other people who look like us uh, or whose behaviors look like us on the web might get grouped into a category and then Google will sell access to that category to advertisers, which is not nearly as targeted as the kinds of advertising that people do today. 
this is what's generally called the cookie apocalypse uh, for folks who aren't familiar. And you know, I have I have many thoughts about this. My biggest thought is I don't think it's that big a deal from a technical and practical perspective mm-hmm. um, because I don't think that I think that a ton of big tech advertising is actually Google and Facebook and Apple and Amazon being really good at predicting where someone who was eventually going to buy was already going to go and showing ads to them and then paying you for the privilege of having the analytics to see it. Right. And I think that's what people need to understand about why Google has delayed this so many times is until they have a real way to cope with this, it's going to impact the effectiveness of their advertising and their advertising income, right? Okay, this is where I, I don't think so. I think it's really? not going to affect the effectiveness. And I think it's, un, well, in most cases, a few cases, there's, there's edge cases where it will affect the effectiveness, a effect, the e effectiveness. Um, but I think in the vast majority of cases, Google was and is taking credit for sales that already would have happened anyway. Fair. I mean, we've seen the transition from Google Analytics to GA4 and all the unknowns that are, it's just, yes, I, that probably didn't make sense to those of you who aren't in Google Analytics all the time, but it's painful. Yeah. Well, and they, you know, they removed some of the um, options for attribution that, that were in universal that aren't in GA4. And, you know, people have been emailing me like, gosh, you know, it sure looks like now I switched to GA4. It looks like a Google pay-per-click is responsible for all my uh, conversions. I don't remember that being as true in the previous version of GA. Did something happen? Yes, something happened. <laughs> Guess what? Google's, you know, advertising and analytics people sat down together and were like, hey, do you, do you want to make a bigger bonus this year? Sure. Do you want to make a bigger bonus this year? All right, a little handshake. That sounds, well, really shrewd, but <laughs> you're probably right. Probably spot on. And it's a good reminder for people to track UTM parameters and those sorts of things so they can verify it on in different ways and not just rely on Google Analytics, perhaps. I mean, yeah, I, I want to... Part of me wants to encourage people to try and find technical solutions and workarounds. Mm-hmm. And a bigger part of me wants to say, if you if you have the chutzpah to do it, you should just throw out the idea that attribution can be measured on the internet. Ooh, we're getting into it early. This is going to be fun. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I, I have a tough time with that because I come from the B two B space with really long sales cycles. And have been one of those marketing leaders who have been hammered for every dollar you put into each channel, how many come out. And it's hard to change the executive mindset. I mean, I don't disagree with you, um, but it's really hard to, yeah, change their minds. So maybe we get into that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think this is like, it's like trying to convince average Americans that crime has gone down. I mean, statistically, yeah, but if you hear it enough times, right. Right. So, so statistically, you know, crime way down the last 40 years, like, you know, every five years is so much better than the last brief spike during COVID. Sure. Now it's down again. And almost no American believes that crime has ever dropped. 
right? This is, it's just the truth evades the mentality, right? And they, um, and a lot of people, you know, when you bring up the fact that crime is way down, they'll be like, but my cousin, you know, his car got broken into, or, well, I was robbed at this gas station in California, <laughs> whatever it is. And you're like, yep, the anecdotes are not uh, statistically sound aggregates. And convincing executives, right? So executives, I think, have to be um, intelligent, thoughtful people, or probably we should not work for them, right? We should go find new people to work for. And, and I think having a conversation in the abstract is a good way to go, right? So not saying hey, you shouldn't track your metrics, you should throw out all of this stuff, but instead starting with the broader conversation of, hey, do you think it's possible that what Google's really doing with all the ads that appear is saying, oh, buyers who are likely to buy from your site, we know that they're gonna visit these 10 or 12 sites and pages across the internet in their journey. Let's make sure your ad shows there so that we get credit for a lot of the sales that would have happened anyway. And executives will be like, oh yeah, I'm sure they do shady stuff like that. In fact, look at this you know, Department of Justice uh, case, right? They unearthed this email. This is a, you know, doesn't matter where you are in, in politics. This started under the Trump administration, now continued under the Biden administration. And the DOJ has like all these documents showing, you know, collusion and, and sketchy stuff happening uh, mm -hmm. inside of Google to do exactly this, right? And, uh, you can also prove it to yourself by looking at all these case studies, right? So uh, Chase Manhattan Bank had a great one that was featured in the New York Times a few years ago where they cut their advertising from 95% of websites and saw the same exact number of signups and transactions and conversions. Uh, Uber did the same thing and yeah. saved like $100 million. Airbnb cut their advertising spend by more than 90% in 2021, you know, and Brian Chesky did an earnings report that was quite famous in the marketing world about this. Uh, eBay had a really good case study around this, right? So there's tons and tons of these big companies who have cut their advertising spend by massive dollar amounts and seen the same or better performance. The only explanation that could possibly be true is a ton of ads that Google and Facebook and Amazon and Apple claim are, are creating new demand are actually just being served to existing demand. Right, and I have to wonder if there's some other things going on. I mean, those are huge brands with tons of recognition and this is really an awareness play. So I wonder, you know, have we hit market saturation or is it difficult to track inefficiencies? Yes, for all the reasons you just listed, um, but stepping back a minute, I really liked your analogy because I feel I feel, and this is going to play into my next statement, that a lot of leaders are still in intuition led, even though they think they're data driven. And we're still trying to scale B2B companies the way that used to work 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And the buyer demands have completely changed. Buyer committees have gotten bigger. There's all of these things pointing towards marketing and customer success becoming more important in the sales cycle. So your thoughts there? Yeah, so uh, I fully believe that when it comes to most B2B purchases, uh, product, reputation, and brand matter most. Uh, marketing distribution and 
sort of reach awareness building are second and then everything else, which would include, you know, your pay-per-click ad in Google appearing above your organic listing or your, um, you know, puppy dog, third-party cookie, follow me around the internet uh, advertising or your um, social media ads. That, that kind of stuff is very good at taking credit for sales that would have happened anyway. And if I were... If I were coaching, you know, and, and I often do, right? Lots of executives in, in the B2B world, I would tell them to do as much as they can to get rid of the idea that attribution is something that's possible on the internet in 2023 and instead move to a world of measurement. And if, if you don't believe me, that's fine. Some of your competitors will, and they'll probably eat your lunch. Um, and the way to prove this to yourself is in a quarter where you're feeling comfortable about it, bring your advertising spend on a platform or two down to zero. Re repurpose those dollars into something, some brand campaigns, you know, content, whatever, your, your product, um, new hires, a new agency, whatever. Put that do those dollars somewhere else and then see. See if, oh gosh, you know, we cut all of our Twitter spend. Oh man. It's been a hundred days and sure looks like we're getting 80% or 90% or 105% of the same results we were last quarter or, you know, year over year based on our average growth rate compared to the quarter last year that we got from Twitter, we're seeing whatever it is. And then, and then ask yourself like, oh, wait a minute. If we spent $0 here and we still got let's say 80%, then the marginal contribution of that channel was actually 20%, even though you know, the channel took credit for this many conversions. N now you have real data. So if you want to be data-driven, that's the way to go about it. I think the, the problem with suggesting that to executives, especially CMOs, is that they are so scared of a 1% drop in potential new sales or growth rate that they're mm -hmm. unwilling to trade that for uh, a massive increase in profitability, right? Or, or cost of acquisition. Yeah. And if you're VC backed, right? I get it. Like, you know what? VCs, they, they want 95% of the companies that they invest in to die. And then the other 5% have, you know, explosive growth and, and get to a billion dollars or whatever, become a unicorn. Um, but the die trying bunch, those are fine too, right? And so they're going to encourage most of their companies to way overspend to hopefully become the monopoly in their space, mm -hmm. um, which I think sucks for a million reasons, um, but it works for their model. And so I don't think you're going to convince those people to change their, their minds. But anybody who's not venture-backed, you have a huge competitive advantage in cost of customer acquisition, in the profitability of your potential business, your ability to invest in alternative channels that might be longer term to show ROI, but much higher ROI when they do get there, right? When they mature. So that that's, that's how I encourage and coach folks to think about it. Yeah. And then with attribution, I think I'm a fan of measuring what you can and using that to help you make decisions, which is much of what you just described. I think where attribution becomes really problematic is when it manifests as this 
pressuring to prove the amount of pipeline and bookings you're doing and to get credit for things. And that's just a disaster. Yeah, and it's, it, whatever you come up with is wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I guarantee hundred um, percent, you know, I, I would put all the money I have in a bank account on the fact that everyone's attribution model is wrong um, and incorrect. And there, there is no perfect model. If you, if you get it right, it's because you won the lottery, you know, yeah. in terms of statistics. Yeah. Uh, I would actually say that attribution being wrong is okay if you know what you're using it for and you're not trying to battle with other executives for credit. So if you're simply using it as a directional, directional, because it's never going to be right, like you said, way to figure out what's working quarter over quarter, fine. Um, But yeah, this whole battle in the boardroom, it's something we're never going to win because I think so much of it is actually intuitive based how people used to grow businesses and wanting to continue that track. It's, it's, it's confirmation biased or the opposite of that. They're going to look for whatever they can. Yeah. Yeah. It's very frustrating, right? So I think yeah. uh, marketers spent a good century, right? The, the 20th century uh, sort of investing in marketing and advertising and branding and content in, in lots of different ways that never showed attribution but did show incremental lift, right? So Coca-Cola would, whatever, run two different billboard campaigns, one in Cincinnati, one in Cleveland. And they would look at whether the Cleveland billboard outperformed in terms of lift of same source sales uh, over the the Cincinnati ones. And if it did, that would be the nationwide or Ohio-wide campaign for the next year. I think that's great, right? That's a phenomenal way to to test incrementality and and lift-based measurement Pretty, pretty darn smart, especially in, in isolation cases like that. Yeah. Um, what they never tried to do is say, oh, well, Joe Schmo walked into that convenience store and bought this many cans of Coca-Cola because of this billboard. And yeah. the fact that we tried to do that in the first sort of 15, 20 years of digital advertising on the internet, it's really kind of dumb. Like it's not, <laughs> it was never a good idea. Um, I, I think even though I'm someone who for years encouraged that sort of behavior, right? I was an attribution advocate. I, I showed people how to build models. I filmed videos on how to do it. I spoke on stages. I, I looked at, you know, I tried to show people like, here's what your SEO is responsible for. Here's what this keyword produced in terms of conversions and this piece of content, how, how many conversions did it lead to? I did all those kinds of things and... I now believe that I was foolish, mistaken, and misled a lot of people, um, like many marketers of my generation, right? I, I certainly wasn't alone. Um, and we did that because the big tech and big advertising companies had such a huge incentive to try and convince every executive to buy into that. Um, and what's funny, Kamala, is if you remember, let's say we were having this conversation um, 15 years ago, right? It's 2008. I bet we would be, it would be the other direction, right? It would be us trying to say, gosh, you know, everyone's still addicted to this 20th century style of incremental lift-based measurement. And that's old school. And that's, we're going to leave you in the dust with our new attribution-based systems that can measure all these different things. Um, 
And there may have been a moment in time, right, when Google was still providing keyword data in analytics, um, when third-party cookies had no expiration limits, when there were virtually no privacy laws or regulations, when there was virtually no one who uh, blocked cookies on their devices or blocked tracking of any kind, when there were no privacy-centric browsers, when no one had ad blockers. There was a window there where you could get, I think, reasonably close, right? Like reasonable people could disagree about whether attribution was possible in a, in a directional sense. Right. And today, I don't believe it. I just, I even in a directional sense, I think it's you're probably lying to yourself. If, if the directions are, or if the the numbers are so big and trustworthy, and you've tested cutting them, you know, cutting off a channel and then bringing it back in. Okay, you might be able to prove to me in special cases that you know your your increment sorry your attribution based model is directionally useful and accurate. Some people probably have that, but for most folks, I would urge you to um, just throw out that way of thinking and <laughs> go back to the 20th century style of measurement. Yeah, yeah, and I've been one of the lucky few that has been able to tool a huge system to be able to prove incremental change, but it took a ton of education on how to use it, what it was good for, what it wasn't good for, and how to think about it. And that's the hard part. Rand, thank you so much. I can't wait until tomorrow's topic. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you online to network? Uh, sure. Yeah. So if, you, um, if you're interested in, in topics like these, we, uh, we write and talk about them a lot on sparktoro.com. Uh, you can play with the, the software for free. We, there's no free trial. It's just a forever free account that anybody can sign up for. And I'm pretty active on uh, LinkedIn and Threads. Perfect. Thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revenue Marketing Report. Please tell two friends, subscribe, download, whatever you can helps. And for those of you looking for more great content like this, check out calibervine.com.